to go out and do it. Some of you are thinking, if only I had the discipline. Well, do you know that, that one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, which is another way of saying self-discipline. It is the power of self-determination. It is the power to say, I'm not going to be that way anymore and not be that way anymore. It's the power to say, I'm not going to say that anymore and not say that anymore. It's the power to say, I'm going to start doing this and start doing that. Problem, actually. And the problem is not what you think it is. The problem is not your issue. The problem is your mind. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says, Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And then it names all of these problems. And by the way, this section is addressed to believers. He's not even talking about unbelievers. He says, In the last days, perilous times will come. And literally what Paul is saying is the character of end-time Christianity will be plagued by the following issues. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and that's just the church. Well, he, he hasn't even gotten to the world yet. He's not talking about unbelievers. Because at the end, he says, have nothing to do from such people turn away. And he told us before that he's ne- when he says don't have anything to do with people who are these things, he's not talking about unbelievers because then you'd have to leave the world. He's talking about believers. But he breaks it down here and tells us what their problem is. The very last description is this, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. They have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. It doesn't say they had a form of godliness, but Satan resists its power. It says they themselves denied the power of the godliness that they themselves have. They have received an infusion of godliness by the power of the Holy Spirit, but in their minds, they don't believe it has any power. In their minds, they deny the power. That is, God does a powerful work in their life, and they go home thinking, that didn't work. God speaks a powerful word over their life and they go home saying, nothing has changed. Yeah. I'm, and all of these things, if you talk to any believer who, who, who you know, is a lover of themselves or a lover of money or a boaster or proud or blasphemous or disobedient or unthankful, unholy, any of these things, it characterized your prior life before you came to Christ. But then you came to Christ, received an infusion of godliness and nothing changed. Why? Because you saw godliness as nothing but a form without power. Your interpretation of godliness was, I go to church, I try not to cuss, I put my money in the plate, but you don't believe that there's any power that has regenerated you on the inside, any power that has changed you, any power that has set you free, that has freed you from your sins. You've got a a godliness that you see as only a form, and because you see it as only a form, a set of behaviors that you do and a set of behaviors that you avoid, because you see it as only a form, you are actively denying its power. Actively 
denying. And Paul says this will be the character of end time Christianity. Remember in uh, Matthew chapter 17, uh, Jesus had gone up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And when he came down, his disciples had made a mess of the church. He had gone away for three days and came back and the disciples had already messed up the church. I thank God for a church where my wife and I can go out of town for weeks at a time and come back and the house is still in order. That's a powerful church. But the disciples of Jesus weren't there yet. They come, he comes down the mountain and there's a big dispute going on. And he asks, what in the world is going on? Now, watch this. Here's the thing that, that, that cracks me up. It's a dispute. And when he asks why, they say, the, disciple, the, the man comes and says, I brought my son to your disciples for them to heal him. And they couldn't do it. The disciples are now arguing with folks because they can't do what they're supposed to do. Instead, he didn't come down and there was a prayer meeting for the boys still going on. He came down and they were arguing. You know, believers start bickering, bickering and arguing. When, when believers begin bickering and arguing, it's typically because they're malfunctioning in their own gifts. They're not operating in the authority and power that they're supposed to have. So instead, I think I'll criticize and talk about some folks. And so Jesus comes down and he sees this going on. The disciples can't do what they're supposed to do. And so they're engaging in arguing and in quarreling with the people. The people are going, you're heck of fake. He says, oh yeah, well, you're not even walking with Jesus. He says, well, you're supposed to be walking with him, but you can't do what he does. Well, oh yeah, well, you can't see what I could do. Just go back seven chapters and see what I did when he sent me out. You know how many miracles I worked? How many of you worked? And Jesus says this, he, he sees it and he says in Matthew 17, 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now it's bad enough that he said unbelieving, but he added the word perverse. Lord, let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. <sighs> and the father just comes and says, no, 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 this is my son right here. Listen to him. We only need one tabernacle and you're not going to build it. You are it. They're still learning. But when they're unbelieving, he says, you wicked, unbelieving. In Hebrews chapter three, the author of Hebrews chides us and he warns us. He said, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no one has a wicked and unbelieving heart in departing from the living God. Whenever our hearts begin to doubt, they begin to depart from the living God. You cannot doubt and remain in the arms of God at the same time. Doubt causes you to back up. It causes you to back up. And this is really what I want to say to you tonight is that godliness has power. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is the mystery of God. There is a mysterious power that is at work in you, and it is called godliness. For it started when the Holy Spirit came on the inside of you through faith in Jesus Christ and regenerated you. That is, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And that means that you have been given the power to change your life. If you want to change it, you can change it. 
You say, I wish I could eat differently. You can eat differently. You say, I wish I could study more. You can study more. You say, I wish I could get up earlier. You can get up earlier. You say, I wish I could do better at my job. You can do better. Listen, the power of godliness affects every aspect of your life. There is nothing that is a part of your life that is outside of the power of godliness that works on the inside of you. I'm calling you tonight to rise up and the word of the Lord to you is it's time to stop mourning and it's time to stop grieving and it's time to stop crying about wishing you can change your life to any we've been crying. Listen, there's been a season of mourning and crying and weeping, but I say that that weeping is already endured for the night. Now it's time for joy to come in the morning. And joy comes in the morning because a word comes from the Lord. It says, you want to change it? Stop crying about it and change it. You can do it. Rise up in the authority that God's given you. Show yourself a man. Show yourself a woman. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. And do what God's called you to do. Amen. Some of you are facing obstacles that seem insurmountable. Areas in your life where you think I will certainly fail. God says you will certainly not fail. But you're not going to sit around and wait for success to overtake you. You're going to get up. You're going to regroup. You're going to re-strategize. You're going to put your hand to the plow. You're not going to look back again. You're going to do it. You're going to go forth in the power of God and you're going to do it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the word of the Lord tonight. Do you receive it? You receive it? You have power. You have power. And one of the principal aspects of discipleship is coming to the progressive revelation of just how much power you have. We don't know. And that's why Paul said that he prayed that God would reveal it to us in that Ephesians 1, 14 and following passage. He said, since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I haven't stopped mentioning, making mention of you in my prayers. I pray that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that you might know the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling is the end. It's the finished product. That you might see the finished product while you're still in the midst of being shaped. And that you might know the exceeding riches of his inheritance. Inheritance goes all the way back to the beginning when you were formed. The hope of his calling goes all the way to the end when you're finished. But your inheritance goes all the way to the beginning when you were born. See, I received my inheritance from my parents when I was born. Uh, 36 of my dad's chromosomes. and How many chromosomes? 23 of my dad's chromosomes and 23 of my mom's that inheritance has been in me since I was conceived in the womb. When God shows you the riches of his glorious inheritance, he takes you all the way back to the moment you were born again and says, it's been in you all along. You just haven't seen it yet. You know, it took me, it took me 13 years until my father's voice started coming out of me. But those genes and that DNA were in me from the moment I was conceived. There's stuff that's on the inside of you since God conceived you stuff that has been in you since you were born again. And he put his spirit in you. You haven't seen it come out yet. But Paul says, I pray that he would show you the inheritance that's in you. And then finally, he says, I pray that God would reveal to you the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul says you need revelation because your eyes are closed to it right now. You don't think you're powerful. You think you're defeated. 
But Paul says, I'm praying that God would release a spirit of revelation over you that would open your eyes and cause you to see that you have power and you have authority because you are sons and daughters of the living God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just send forth each and every one gathered here today. And I say, you have the power to change your life. You're not stuck. You're not trapped. I just sense that many of you here feel stuck and trapped. You've got power. Many of you are here are grieving over situations in your life that you feel like you have no power over. He's put all things under your feet. You have power. Now rise up. Rise up in your heart. Rise up in your mind. Stop denying its power and begin to declare that what God put on the inside of me is powerful. And it has the power to change every situation that I encounter and to defeat every devil that comes against me. I am more than a conqueror because he loved me.